So today we have a really interesting lineup, actually a first for conversations in clean tech. We have two guests from two different companies. Both are truly inspirational, but in totally different ways. So firstly, we have Nikki D, the co-founder and chief sustainability and innovation officer at Carbon 13. What a long job title. And Natalia Dorfman, CEO and co-founder of Kita. Nikki has a PhD from the University of Cambridge Institute for Manufacturing and Natural Sciences. Her PhD combined her respect for sustainability and the power of entrepreneurship to create change. And she's very much continued in this vein ever since. Her belief that entrepreneurs and innovators have a critical role in introducing creative solutions for some of the most pressing challenges has led her to her current venture, Carbon 13 a venture builder for the climate emergency. And Natalia's academic background is in environmental science. She then went on to have a very successful corporate career in totally different things, from a year in publishing, climbing the ladder in two major law firms, and then going full circle and working on climate risk insurance, heading up the global business development team for Clyde & Co., at which point she had one of those pivotal life moments, deciding if to follow her heart, tackling climate change or continue the corporate career. And I guess you'll, you will have guessed the answer. She co-founded Kita, who provide carbon insurance for the climate crisis. So ladies, welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech. I'm very excited to have you as a powerful duo. And please, could you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit more about yourselves and also how you met? Okay, so as you say, I, I started off in, in academia and actually people often ask, what was the route to carbon 13? And I think the truth is in both sustainability and in entrepreneurship, there is no neat career route. <laughs> so for the last 20 years, I've, I've been mixture of academia. I then moved into the startup land um, and also working with corporates and um, eventually doing Carbon 13. Outside of this, I'm also a mum of two children. So I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old who is bursting his buttons because his birthday is in a couple of weeks, a couple of dogs and a partner. And I live just outside of Cambridge. And one of my other passions, I would say, I think like many people in this space, is just the outdoor world. We love getting outside, love nature, totally obsessed with the sea. And and that's been, a, I suppose, one of the reasons why I've ended up where I am. But yeah, I met Natalia early on in Carbon 13. I remember when he came to the Bradfield Centre, I think it was, to see what on earth we were up to at a, at a time where you know, we were still figuring out exactly what we were doing um, with the format of some of these events. But luckily, we did enough to entice you to apply. Yep, definitely. I remember that as well. But yeah, my my background, like you said, I had, I majored in environmental science at university, I guess, similar to Nikki. I like any parent loves to hear I did that because I wanted to go hiking. And I thought maybe if I major in environmental science, I can go hiking a lot. And I couldn't, obviously, I was just in the lab the whole time. Um, and I, I loved studying that, but I quite quickly realized I was not meant to be a scientist. I'm not overly academic. I was never going to go and get a PhD. And 
I decided, like you said, I love reading, I love writing, I love editing. And so I just tried to go into publishing. Publishing was, I did a monthly magazine and it was just too formulaic for me. Um, and so I ended up falling into this career of doing business development and strategy for large global law firms, which is not what everyone grows up wanting to be, but it's very interesting. It's constantly different, lots of autonomy, always learning about new types of law, new industries and working with really smart people. And so I loved it. And I did that for 15 years. But then I guess like, like both of you, you know, at some point, I suppose I used to think that what I believed in my personal life, I always cared about climate change, didn't necessarily need to be what I did in my professional life. Like I wanted my job to be interesting and enjoyable, but it didn't need to sort of, it needed to satisfy my intellectual curiosity, but not my kind of morals uh, or not even morals, but you know, the sort of belief in what I, I need, didn't need to believe in what I did was making a difference. And then again, I have two kids as well. I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, so very similar to Nikki. And I think it was part of becoming a mom and, and realizing I love working, but if I am going to be leaving my kids to go to work, actually, it does need to matter. Um, and that coupled with working at Clyde & Co and working with the climate risk practice there, I thought, you know, it, it becomes a point when you can either kind of stick your head in the sand and, and hope someone else is going to fix it or you go on with your life or you can think, actually, no, it's time for me to try and do something about it. And so that's how I ended up applying to Carbon 13. Um, and I think I would be an unlikely entrepreneur. Both my parents had their own businesses, but small businesses, you know, they basically worked for themselves. Um, and I never, I thought I would do that at some point. I like autonomy, but I never thought I would be a startup founder. It was really just Carbon 13 was really, really helpful in providing a framework that cr created a sort of safety to leave a comfortable career and try something new. And yeah, meeting Nikki and the whole team there was really, really important to me getting into where we are now with Kita. Amazing. And you queued up my next question perfectly. I could just leave you to it. Uh, so Nikki, my next question is Carbon 13. Some of our listeners will have heard of it. Some of it, some of them won't. And I think it's important that a lot of people out there know what what you are, what you do, what you stand for. So uh, Natalia briefly touched on the framework, but you can you give us the, the 101? What is Carbon 13? So Carbon 13 is a venture builder for the climate emergency. And the venture builder part of it is really critical. Um, so at the beginning of a programme, we will bring together 80 to 100 people. And some of those people will have ideas, some some of them don't we have a mixture of commercial and technical people we have a lot of fun interviewing people because we now get huge number of applications and actually did since day one and our goal is then to help those people go through a process of teaming and at the end of six weeks the teams that have coalesced around a little bit of an idea go through and really start working from a venture perspective. And at the end of that three months, they get to pitch for some pre-seed investment. Um, and out of those teams, so usually around 25, um, 12 to 14 of them will have access to that pre-seed investment and go through to a more traditional accelerator program. So some of the pain points are... Even seasoned entrepreneurs who then want to do a new business, they come to us because it's just really hard finding a co-founder. 
you will have many conversations and people go, oh, yeah, you know, that's nice. So there's something quite interesting about bringing a group of people together and that wonderfully luxurious moment of recognising that everyone in the room has a similar sense of purpose, mixture of experiences and um, insights, I'm going to say, but also that willingness to commit to doing something. And that's really important. So that is definitely one of the things that we hear a lot from people. And I'd be curious to hear from Natalia on that. Um, That's one of the barriers that we are overcoming in this space. And then, of course, some of the things that are specific to climate tech. So one of them is the climate tech community. The other part of it is really thinking through carbon, so greenhouse gas emissions, and, and how you evaluate that, use that as part of your ideation, but also understand how to communicate that and engage stakeholders. But, you know, what's interesting for me is timing. Entrepreneurship in many ways is all about timing. And I really think if we'd set up Carbon 13, maybe even five years ago, it would look quite different to when we did set it up. So we originally met and discussed this idea in 2019. And that we're now at the point where we've made 44 pre-seed investments and we're opening in Berlin. Um, There's a huge amount of momentum. I've been in this space, stubbornly in this space, wanting things to happen for a really long time. And I've never known momentum like it. And it's, it's brilliant that we've now got amazing talent, but also all the other stakeholders coalescing around this and pushing things in the right direction. Fantastic. And I think you touched on something there, but it is timing and it's not just timing in terms of the the external and the world we're in and where that's at, but it's timing for you as well. I think, you know, the conversations I have with founders very often, there's that moment in time when you realise you really want to make a difference and yours was kind of building to it. But what was the the moment that you thought, right, Carbon 13, this is the idea, this is what we're going to do? Well, I, okay, my, do you want the honest answer? Always. (laughs) So I think before child number two, some of the stuff that I was doing, I had a bit of a portfolio existence. I was working on a big corporate program with startups. I was doing some executive education with the university and some of it started to feel a bit easy. Now, I don't know why easy is a bad thing. I actually think that's insane. Easy is great. But anyway, I started (laughs) thinking that maybe I wanted to do something a bit different, a bit new. So switch your mindset into explore mode And after child number two, I had a few different conversations with people, actually. And Carbon 13, I met Frank initially, and then Chris, um, and then Andre. And and now we've got a different co-founding team. But I understood the model. I I know it well. My appetite was to do it the right way. It's very easy to build ventures in quite a sloppy way, in a tick the box kind of way. Um, And there's a lack of diversity in this space. And and I really wanted to try and do some things a little bit different. So, So that was a big motivation for me. But I also knew that the model was really unlikely to work because it's capital intensive. You know, you've got that that investment up front for the potential of a longer term um, return. 
And so it was very much contingent on getting what I'm going to describe as some very lucky funding up front, which allowed us to start and really get that ball rolling. But yeah, I I was initially sceptical, two young children. But then as an entrepreneur, when you feel the momentum, you chase it down. So time in my life, not ideal to be going and working in a startup, but the momentum is there. So here we are. Fantastic. And yeah, that we will, we'll touch back on that later in the conversation about um, the craziness of balancing life as a parent and a co-founder, which actually we should have started recording 10 minutes before we did and everyone would have heard the reality. <laughs> um, but my last question to you is, you've touched on the, the why and the starting, but what successes have you realised thus far with Carbon 13? Well, Natalia, right here, I think, is, but, but you know, that is the story, isn't it? It's meeting an individual, and, and I remember talking to Natalia, and actually even at the beginning of the programme, Natalia, you were bouncing around ideas, meeting different people, um, and, you know, various different conversations, and then at some point it all came together, or at least you know, I know it sounds simple, it all comes together and the rest is history. So let's, let's, let's move over to you. But yeah, for us, the success is we are now on cohort, cohort four, as I said, we've just done the pre-seed investments with them. We've got Berlin opening. Um, we, we are interviewing for cohort five. And every time we have far too many people applying, and we have some brilliant ventures coming out. But in truth, people ask me this question and I find it hard to answer because our real success is going to be judged in years to come and that will be done on have we actually mitigated greenhouse gas emissions I mean that's that's really our bottom line and we won't know that until a few years hence. Amazing and passing to Natalia um, it would be great to hear that story from the other side of someone that was in a corporate doing very well and I would like to sort of understand how did you hear about Carbon 13 and, and what gave you the kick to, to go and find out more and to meet Nikki? Yeah, of course. And I also actually remember very well my first meeting with Nikki, but I suppose a lot of what Nikki said is actually the same for me. There was the aspect of me working at Clyde & Co, which is a wonderful law firm. I worked with amazing people and they gave me everything that I could want, right? They gave me autonomy, super supportive through my two maternity leaves. They kept promoting me. I had this amazing job. I did realize on the climate change side, like we've already said, climate change there was part of my job. And for me, it started to become just needed to be my whole job. So that was definitely one thing. Another aspect was just like Nikki said, it started to become easy. You know, I started to realize actually, I, I know exactly what to do. I know how to make people come along with me. Um, and to some extent, easy is good, especially when you have young kids. But sometimes it's also just, it starts to become boring. Um, and then you start to become lazy. And then once I start to become lazy, I'm not actually doing a good job anymore. And then that doesn't make me happy. And so there was an aspect of that as well. But again, like I said at the beginning, I think I'm, I'm an unlikely entrepreneur. I was focused on devoting the rest of my career to climate change. And so I was looking at a lot of ways to do that. And some of it was at large corporates. You know, I was like, can I go and work at a, you know, lead the sustainability team at an asset manager and run their, you know, all these things. 
But I wasn't a perfect fit for any of those things because I was so legal by then. Um, and I knew I could pivot, but it's very hard to convince someone else to pivot. Unfortunately, quite early into me looking for a new job, Carbon 13 came up on my LinkedIn profile. It was one of those little things came up my feed and it says, do you want to start a climate tech company? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and so I applied and I will say I actually did not give the application that much thought because I thought it was so unlikely I would get accepted into this. I just sort of came up my feed. I just sort of like typed out responses and just sent it off. Um, and I thought very unlikely. And then when I got the first interviews with them, then I started to give it some serious thought. And I remember thinking then, and I was talking to my husband and I was like, if I actually get into this thing, I have to give it a go. It's, it's that kind of possibly, like you said, again, Nikki timing, um, where to some extent the timing of my life wasn't perfect. So that was a year and a half ago. So my daughters were three and six, you know, I was sort of like, it'd be nicer if both of them were in school, they were both a bit older, you know, ideally. But then likewise, I, I had a nice career. I had some disposable income. And so I had some safety, I had some financial safety to take a punt. And I knew that if I needed to get another job, I could always go and get another job. I'd built up this resume. I was very employable within the legal setting. So there was a safety there and thus it made it a, a good timing to take a risk. Um, and then I, I had the first conversations with Chris Coleridge and then Nikki. And I do remember following up from my conversation with Nikki on the diversity front. Um, because, you know, in the call, it was like, you're pitching yourself, right? And then she said at the end, do you have any questions? And I'm sure I had some pre-formulated questions that, you know, I prepped. Uh, but then after the call, I thought, you know, I actually do have a serious question. And that question is, am I going to the, be the only, you know, late 30s woman with young kids in this program because if the whole point is that I'm supposed to go out and find a co-founder with whom I can build a business I do not want to be this like fish out of water in a sea of 22 year old men which was my stereotype of who goes into these kinds of programs and so I remember thinking, should I ask that? Because if I ask that, is that almost like indicating a, a sign of weakness? Um, but then I thought, I have to ask it, because what's the point of me going into this program if actually it's not the right fit? It's just not a good use of my time or theirs. And so I, I asked Nikki, and I remember she came back and said, no, it's you know very much exactly who we're looking for. We want a wide range of people because we're not going to fight climate change from looking at this really siloed point of view. Um, and that was very, very encouraging. And then I said the other very encouraging thing was actually in the program. It was very true. There were people from all over the place, all different walks of life, ages, backgrounds. Um, and I think that was one of the great things that Carbon 13 was able to bring together for me was, you know, I don't know how I would have started a company if I'd had to go out and find a co-founder by myself. I just wouldn't have become, because I wasn't so like I need to become an entrepreneur and start a startup. I don't know what I would have done because my other people I've worked with in the past, I could have done a startup with them, but they weren't at the stage of their life where they wanted to. So it was bringing together this pool of people who wanted to start a company right now. They wanted to focus only on climate change and they'd been pre-vetted for me. It gave a, an acceleration to something that otherwise could have taken years. Although I will say, Nikki, I always thought it'd be a really good reality TV show because the first six weeks of Carbon 13 are like a combination of like a, I don't know, like a, some kind of Love Island's like 
the apprentice type situation where you you need Don't to get into the apprentice not the apprentice <laughs> love, love island i buy but not the apprentice please. because you can eliminate it right if you don't get into a team you don't get it's not like you're fired but you know you need to get into a team and and there's so many people you could team up with and it, yeah that was very very hard um kind of figuring out who should i team up with um I remember walking around the courtyard with you in because we had that in one of the colleges, didn't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, and you were sort of toying with different people and different ideas, but so yeah, the whole thing it was like so weird. And I say my co-founders that I I teamed up with and who are amazing. One of the key things actually was they also have kids. You know, I thought we understand each other. Um, we understand our lives. You know, sometimes we come in late, we leave early, we have parent teachers, we need to be home for dinner, we we get it. And that was a huge um, a huge reason when I first met them that I thought actually this could work and it is a huge reason why it has worked. And Tom and Paul, I mean we should mention them, shouldn't we? But they're 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 lovely and also brilliant. Yeah, they're amazing. I think I get a lot of the like PR of Kita because it's my job to do this, but by no, it's 100% all of us. It's always been all of us and everything is all of us. And so, yeah, it's it all about building a team. I don't, I don't know how people are solo founders. I think that would be incredibly difficult. And that's a question actually I had. Um, and I think something people always wonder how it works, that actual process of, of picking your people and then picking you. Like, how does that work? Oh, I don't know. I mean, Nikki Pai has a better view. You've probably seen this more times, but I'll just tell you my perspective was, uh, I made an Excel spreadsheet of everyone because I quite quickly realized there were 78 people and I started forgetting, like, have we already spoken? What did you do? So I made an Excel spreadsheet of everyone. I then had basically a list of like, no, maybe. The no's weren't many, but there was a few people that I was just like, personality wise, it's not going to work, right? We just, we can't work together. Not too many of them, but some were just no's. Um, or knows because they wanted to do something very specific that I wasn't interested in. I didn't feel like it was the best use of my skills. And then I had this ton of maybes. And so with the maybes, I tried to be reasonably formulaic and making sure we kind of like kept on talking. And that kind of narrowed down over time, just personality fit, interest fit. And then I treated it, I suppose I was never much of a dater. I never like dated multiple people at the same time, but I treated it as if I were to do that. I was very honest with everyone that, I'm speaking to you, but I'm also speaking to these people. You know, in essence, I was quite honest with people. It was like, especially once I met Paul and Tom, because they came into it as a team already. I was basically like, Paul and Tom are my first choice without meaning to cause any offense, but like they are my first choice. I think they're awesome. Um, but they might say no to me. And thus, and, and I don't know, it was, it was incredibly awkward. So I guess I just went on the, on the side of honesty. Um, cause I felt like the worst case is that someone is believing that they're going to be teamed up with you and then you say no to them in the last hour and they, they're left without anything. And I, I didn't want to be, be in that situation or put anyone in that situation. So I went with high levels of honesty throughout, but I would say it was very, very hard and very awkward. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Nikki, if you have, I don't know. It was a very, very out of my comfort zone situation. Yeah, and it's, I think, particularly with the COVID backdrop, we've we've seen, so in cohort one, we, we took the difficult decision that we had to start online because we just had to get this thing going. 
But we know that there are two things that are really difficult to do virtually. One of them is teaming. The other one is ideation. <laughs> so, but we really got to test that that um sort of process and as soon as people could go for walks together they did um cohort two was a different feel because i think people were just so excited to see people in person again um there's this different you know energy in the room and people like jumping into teams on day one and and then sort of going oh no no not that one another one and then um yeah, if I look at cohort four, just just skipping into cohort four, you know, people returning a bit more to normal and being quite cautious up front, not wanting to announce the team. And and it is, there's there's all sorts of emotions that go on during the process. It's a bit like being picked for a team at school and you're like, pick me, pick me, or I don't want to be the one that sounds too eager, but please don't let me be the last one. You know, there's all sorts, it's a very emotional process. And it is, it's hard and you get some people who are less comfortable. Um, So what we do is we, it's really interesting. We do get feedback and we literally don't please all the people all the time, very deliberately, because some people feel more comfortable doing one-to-ones. Other people feel more comfortable in a group situation and having a group discussion we also try and seed some different conversations. So we do things like the Gallup Strengths Finder, and you can see that if someone's a visionary, let's say, um, talking to someone who's very detail oriented, um, you know, we try and provide that bit of intelligence as to, you know, if you're talking at cross purposes, this is why, or if you're finding this person a bit tricky. We know that the easiest people, you get that affinity bias, don't you? So people very often seek out people like themselves. Tech people want to go with tech people. Commercial people want to go with commercial people. So we put in quite a lot of time and energy trying to discourage that and try, which then does push people out of their comfort zone. So, yeah, I would say phase one of the program, all of the all of the program has different types of intensity, but there is an intensity to phase one that is also deeply personal to people because you do have all of these individuals rather than these teams. And all I can say is we've had skepticism from various people and, and still one of the questions that crops up is how do you do this? All I can say is that it does work and Natalia is the proof of that. I would say just to just to point that I think phase one for me, and I think actually to speak for Paul and Tom for them as well, but we've all we've we'd all worked already for years. Phases two and three were more my comfort zone, right? It was how do I how do I develop an idea, pitch an idea, start to sell an idea, start to form the, the structures to build. That all I sort of felt like I knew what I was doing. Phase one was something I'd never done before. And I think I am a very confident person for better or for worse i don't tend to doubt myself very much but it was probably over the last 10 years the time i doubted myself the most other than maybe like early stages of maternity leave when i was like what how do you change a diaper um because i was like why would anyone pick me as their their ceo or their commercial person when there's people who've started and sold like you know serial entrepreneurs there's people who are like climate change experts, I was sort of like, 
I know a little bit about a lot and I've led business development at a law firm. Like, and so there were aspects of that that I think were challenging in a way that I do not normally think I'm normally like, not that sounding like an ass. I mean, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. Like I like, I'm a very confident person, but it made me question that, which was hard. And so it was very good also to have people who I would say you knew you weren't going to team up with for a variety of reasons. I just knew we wouldn't work well together, but who's likewise were very, very supportive of each other. Being able to say, listen, you're doubting yourself too much. Like they are a great team for you. They are a great fit and you bring this and this and this, and you should see that. So I think I was able to do that for people. And I think people were able to do that for me, which was a very positive community-based outcome of Carbon 13 beyond just the, like, the individual teams that formed. Yeah, and I think that model itself, you've got a stringent interview process, so you therefore bring a whole bunch of amazing people in the room and you're all there for your own reason. But when you hear everyone else's story, the natural thing is to think, oh, my God, I'm not as great. Oh, my God, I'm not like that person. Oh, my God, did you hear what she did? Yeah, exactly. But that's great. And that's why the program's amazing, because it gives you the support to get you there. And I'm sure, Nikki, you see it over and over again where people doubt themselves at the start because you just get that imposter syndrome because you do bring together an amazing collective of people. It's very powerful. Yeah, and to be honest, I think a bit of imposter syndrome is probably the hallmarks of a decent human. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, just coming back to something you said earlier, Natalia, um, the entrepreneurship space is played with an image usually of an American white male um which is something i've had to fight against for over 20 years really um and we really do need diverse voices um particularly with some of these serious challenges like like climate change so natalia i mean you did have an idea of what you wanted to do and you know that slightly generalist I mean I I don't think it was but um you know you've got the in-depth view of the industry but also that business lens I think is is really powerful but I think most people in the room in in phase one go through the the highs and lows and and experiencing gosh you know should I be here in what role should I be here what is a good team? What does that look like? What does it feel like to me? And interestingly, from the outside, we can see progress. When a team comes together well, they make progress. When there are problems, you can feel it on the outside. And I'm sure it's 10 times worse on the inside. Um, But things just stall they stop working, Um, you know, people start second guessing themselves, second guessing each other. And it's not to say there'll be ups and downs in any team, but it's, um, yeah, it's quite an interesting part of the process. I think just, I guess, final point on this, I'm sure you have a zillion other questions, but I think Paul, Tom and I, or at least I, thought of it like a marriage. Like we, and I think the good thing about all of us was, we committed and then we never doubted it. So we decided we're doing this and I never felt in any way like either of them wavered and they'd known each other already for like three years. So the first two weeks I was a bit like, gosh, they could just dump me. Um, And then I realized, no, we've all committed to this. We all believe in this and this is what we're doing. Um, And I think that's been a powerful thing with us. So it's not that we always get along, 
Um, you know, we, we, we challenge each other, we disagree, we'll get annoyed with each other. But just like a marriage, you're like, no, we got married. <laughs> we might not always like each other, right? We'll get in a fight. But like, we believe in what we're building together. And so we, we're doing it. And I think that was a, has always been a powerful thing with us that we've never doubted that. I think that's great. And I was kind of thinking that when you were talking earlier, going on from the Love Island thing, but it is that that joining with someone. I have the same, my, my two work husbands, and, you know, you sacrifice a lot for each other as well. You have to give where you wouldn't normally in, in your work context. When you're employed by a large corporate, you don't always sacrifice a lot for other people. But I think in this setting, you do. And then you also, like you say, you give, you annoy each other, but you can be vocal about that. And having that kind of trust and transparency and, and openness is absolutely the key to success. And actually, I just realized we've got to 33 minutes without talking about what Kita is. <laughs> so <laughs> we released the episode that does come out with it in the brief, but um, please, Natalia, tell us. I think actually, but from, from the start would be amazing. So what the gap you saw in the market was and then how you've built this amazing business around that gap. Yeah, of course. But let me just start actually both with that last statement and then what I think an earlier question of, with, you know, Kita's the success of Carbon 13. Because I think I'll echo what Nikki said there and what I always think is that uh, we've been a very, very successful startup. I'll tell you what we do in a second. But we've been a very successful startup, but we're not yet a successful company. And Paul, Tom and I never set out to create a successful startup. Right? We want a successful company that can actually in a long-term sustainable way, be consistently fighting climate change. And so I, I tend to think about, uh, I guess, keeping our heads on straight and thinking what we did last year doesn't actually matter. It's all about what we do next. And so it's always around actually how are we achieving our goal, goals and focusing on that key point of how are we capturing you know, gigatons of carbon. But how we do that at Kita is Kita is an insurance company. And so uh, and the goal of Kita is to de-risk carbon removal solutions that are out there capturing carbon and storing it away. Our aim is to de-risk those companies and those solutions to enable more upfront financing so they can scale. And I think people who look at climate change and follow climate change know that these carbon removal solutions need to scale at incredible rates over this decade. And you don't do that without significant amounts of upfront financing. And how we got there is like anything, I guess a lot of iteration, so my previous job was at a law firm called Clyde & Co., which is one of the largest insurance-focused law firms in the world. So when I first started at Clyde & Co. is when I learned about sophisticated insurance. When I say sophisticated insurance, it's not like your car insurance or your home insurance, which everyone knows and probably doesn't like, but it's the insurance that, in my mind, is really the underpinnings of how the global economy works. Right? Without insurance, insuring your, your buildings and your businesses and your financing, et cetera, you just, nothing works. You don't, there's too much risk sitting on the shoulders of companies and individuals. And, and without, with too much risk, you can't capitalize on opportunity. So insurance is a huge enabler of growth. Um, the challenge with insurance, and I suppose if the flip side of it is they're very large, public, heavily regulated companies, and they tend to move slowly to insure new industries and new technologies. And so I'd seen that firsthand at Clyde & Co, both the amazing aspects of insurance and like any industry, the challenges that the industry has. And, and also the opportunities that the insurance industry has to fight climate change because it, 
it both has large asset management portfolios, which it can invest to, to good purpose. It underwrites risk all over the role, all over the world, and has an opportunity to decide which industries it does and doesn't insure. And then, of course, it pays claims. And it's probably one of the most exposed industries out there to the impacts of climate change. More fires, more storms, more floods, etc., cause more and more insurance claims um, to enable people and businesses to, to regrow. So I saw all of that at Clyde & Co. But I went into Carbon 13, and I by no means thought I was going to build an insurance company. But I was speaking to everyone there, and they were all talking about these amazing technologies they were going to build. And a lot of them are hard tech technologies. And I kept asking it, just this, like, the question that no one asks, but was, like, that's an amazing idea. I see how I can grow and scale and, and create this, this impact of capturing all this gigatons of CO2. But how are you going to get insurance? <laughs> and people were like, what? And I was like, well, how are you going to get insurance? And they were like, I don't, I don't know. I, I hadn't thought about it. I was going to get insurance. And I was like, well, no one's insuring this risk. And so if you can't get insurance, then tell me, once you go beyond grants and VC, how are you going to get financing? And it was just this kind of like conversation killer where everyone was like, I'm going to go talk to someone else who's not talking about insurance. But I kept coming back to it. And I guess at some point I thought, you know, you can sort of insure anything. Insurance isn't rocket science to some extent. Right? You need data and then you can analyze the data in order to quantify risk. And then you, you can figure out how to price that risk and insure it. And so we thought, I, guess I, I thought before meeting Paul and Tom, you know, we, I could create an insurance company that has this laser focus on, at this stage is very early thinking of climate tech, but this laser focus on how do we ensure these new technologies so that we can de-risk them so they can get more financing and scale. And I remember going and speaking to you, Nikki and Chris and being like, I'm going to build an insurance company. And you were like, okay, <laughs> good luck with that one. <laughs> um, but then it was speaking with Paul and Tom and I met them. I realized they have the skills to build insurance. They have the ability to analyze risk, price risk, build a financial product that I don't have those skills. So with them, I realized we could actually do this. And then they had come into Carbon 13 looking at the carbon market specifically and looking at actually how do they use data to start to identify risk and quantify risk. They were thinking at more like a SaaS platform for that type of thing. Um, but in essence, it's the underpinning of an insurance product. So I came in with the insurance side. They came in with the carbon side. And so together we ended up combining it into actually of this huge climate space that we could de-risk and enable. Let's focus on on the carbon markets and then carbon removal specifically. And so that's what Kita does. And we spent all of last year doing all the basic startup things, like building a product, getting financing, hiring a team, um, but also the insurance things. So getting regulated, uh, getting something called capacity, which is where we partner with larger insurance companies. And we were very, very efficient in checking all those boxes, which has gotten us now to being able to launch our first product. Um, and then, like I said at the beginning, Launching a product is very different than being a successful company. And so the goal from now onwards is to become a successful company, which we quantify as how much can our insurance enable the growth of these carbon removal solutions, which themselves are going to go out and capture carbon and store it away. So we see ourselves as an enabler. Fantastic. And I think, well, from everything I've heard and from everything Nikki had told me prior to meeting you, it sounds like you're on that track to success. Yes, I, I will 
I think it, it maybe this is, I guess, just the personality maybe of people who tend to take on these types of jobs. But I tend to think everything we've done so far is done so far. And now it's all about what we do next. And so I tend to not count my chickens before they are hatched. There's a lot of work to do this year um, going forward. But yeah, it's very exciting. And I think going back to the earlier point around uh, easy is boring. It's not easy and it's never boring, but that makes it a lot of fun. Amazing. And something I always like to know is is around motivations. And I think anyone doing a startup knows that there's moments you've got to dig deep. And I think rather than focusing on those challenges, I'd like to hear from both of you, like what what keeps you positive or pressing forward when the going gets tough? I mean, look, I, I've, I've always been very deliberate and purpose driven. So, you know, I want to create impact. So there is that which helps, but then there's just the very pragmatic side of it. Um, I heard this phrase recovery activities last year, and it was something that I really tried to engage with. Um, and there are some obvious ones, but then, you know, going through it, even just reading a story with my child or taking them for a swim. Um, I love water. So that, that for me just, just helps me to switch off. One of my big things is I love hitting things. So I play, <laughs> I play squash. Um, <laughs> but I also, you know, I had a hockey reunion a, a few weeks ago and that is, it's deeply important for me to, to be able to hit things. So, um, yeah, so a combination of those two things. One of them, you know, doing something that I believe will create impact, but the other one is just trying to recover a bit in between. Um, and yeah, I guess for me, again, doing something I believe in is the core of it. But then I think beyond that and over my career, it's been doing something that I find interesting and intellectually stimulating and where I don't necessarily... I suppose, feel like I know what I'm doing. I guess that maybe doesn't instill confidence into the heart of people, but I like it to be a challenge is what I mean. I, I don't like it to feel like a formulaic, I do the same thing every day. So the intellectual kind of curiosity and the ongoing challenge I find just fun. Um, and then I, I guess I am very, very disciplined and I have over the years realized what does and doesn't work for me. And again, thinking about this as like that classic, you know, sort of maybe silly thing, but you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So how do I structure my life to be able to keep doing it? Not just work, but keep my family too. And so I, I basically do the same hours every day. I wake up very early, um, but I'm a morning person, but I do some work. I then play with my kids, you know, drop off, et cetera, work in the middle of the day, pick up dinner, bed, et cetera work a bit. I always start working by 8.30. If I work past 8.30, I can't sleep. Um, but I'm, I sort of, I always work out, you know, five days a week, 30 minutes a day, because I always find you can find 30 minutes, but I can't find an hour. But I guess I'm very, very disciplined. And I always have been. I think that comes, I was a gymnast when I was a kid, and I think that instilled it into me. And I, I find that is helpful to me to manage enjoying my work and enjoying my life. Um, I guess in a way that I have found that I can just maintain it. So, yeah, maybe a slightly boring uh, in some ways, but it, I have figured out what works for me and I just stick with it. 
cool. You both both have your strategies, one slightly scarier than the other. <laughs> I mean, I should say, I, I, I should say that, you know, there's lots of people, whether it's the people that you work with who understand sometimes you have to juggle something or, you know, my partner, she's brilliant um, and, and other people around. So, yeah, you know the expression, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, I think it takes a village to raise a startup as well. So <laughs> we, we need a lot of villages. And that was actually my next question was that kind of support structure and community and how important that is. And I've spoken to both of you around different communities, not just your co-founders or not just the people surrounding you and not just your family, but these kind of wider communities that exist that allow you to lean on people. And Natalia, you mentioned there kind of other people on the cohort that didn't become your co-founders, but you could lean on and have that sense of support. How have you both experienced kind of the power of community in this space? It's a good question. I think actually the community of startup founders in the climate space is very, very strong. There's a sort of core acknowledgement that we're all trying to do something good and that we're all doing something hard. Um, And so I think there is a general kind of when I speak to founders in the climate space, it, it tends to feel like a strong community. I will say personally, uh just my personality is like i'm quite introverted even though oddly my job is basically talking all day long but i i'm quite introverted and i tend to focus on a few good friends so i'd say i have a reasonably small community i lean on and that is just personality based is that i don't need lots of people i say the key thing i really need is some time for myself every now and again but the core group of people i have was obviously my husband is like uh, a core bit I couldn't take care of the kids and do a business obviously without him um, and Paul and Tom are a core bit uh, and I don't have that many people outside of that but that's just that's just me uh, but I think it is a powerful thing that within the broader climate community and the carbon 13 community I know there are many many people I can call on and we have whatsapp groups which is obviously amazing when you have those quick questions it's just like I'm having this challenge and is this just me or is this a thing Um, And those little things are really, really helpful to just give you ongoing sanity checks. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, You know, there are various different people that show up in different ways. So I admit that um, we have a cleaner that comes in twice a week, um, which is actually really important (laughs) because it frees up, you know, time to do other stuff. Um, and also saves us personally arguing over who's going to do, you know, the floor or whatever it is. Um, and that, that is a really important part of the community, you know, through to family, through to friends who I think, you know, when we started this call, we were talking about the number of bugs that have been around over the last couple of months and just getting a sanity check on. I mean, it's ridiculous, really. We had a message coming out from school saying, keep an eye out for um, COVID, of course, flu and strep A. And you're like, oh, brilliant. And then had a call from, well, a message from nursery saying, hand, foot and mouth. Um, It's been going about. Headlights has been going around my my town, it seems. And then I was joking with someone going, I'm gutted it's hand, foot and mouth. I was really hoping it would be chicken pox because Ralph hasn't had chicken pox yet. But, you know, 
you have to have a bit of a laugh about these things. But yeah, the bugs have been added a whole new layer. Um, and obviously before that, there was COVID. So yeah, I, life is complicated. I think you realise that um, the older you get and the more people that you're kind of responsible for. And um, and so many people touch on your life in various different ways from you know, a sympathetic work colleague to, to someone who's thoughtful at nursery and, and remembers to do something or remind you of something through to, you know, someone helping keep the house in order. There's, yeah. Yeah, I think we, we've had the same emails and um, yeah, I was one of those people that was lucky enough for him to bring home the hand, foot and mouth for all of us to share. Yeah, so I think it's it's that thing of just having people to lean on when the going gets tough and also having those co-founders that understand sometimes you've not had a lot of sleep or, you know, you need to work from home or whatever it might be is, is a massive help. Um, and to go back to a point you both actually raised, that thing of finding people who either share your circumstance and maybe they have kids too, or they're just people who understand, you know, it's making sure that you end up in a business with people who get it, who get you and, and what's important to you. What I'd say is really challenging is, so I don't know if both of your partners also work, but actually there's a whole new dimension that comes into this, which is sometimes if you're, what I find really difficult is if we're both busy and we've both got important things going on, and then you have genuine dilemmas over, you know, whose thing is more critical at this particular point in time. So who's going to do the school run today? Um, but yeah, it's it's just another layer. I would say we. This comes, I guess, to my my very strict discipline to minimise those arguments, which we had a lot when my oldest daughter was young and I went back to work after maternity leave. We um, were very strict on who goes in which days. So I go into the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays. He goes into the office on Mondays and Wednesdays. Friday, we can have a conversation. But it means that we don't negotiate. I know I can have whatever meetings I need in person, wherever they need to be on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And he can have that on Mondays and Wednesdays. And as long as we stick to that, we can just each plan with freedom. And then if we have to change, then we can have a conversation. We try not to change and I feel like that has minimized those arguments in the household greatly. Yeah, we, um, I mean, we almost have a meeting where we go through diaries. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Um, well, that brings us actually to the last point, which Natalia just shared a little piece, but I would like to go in just one layer deeper is the advice. So I think um, this episode is one which will have naturally drawn listeners who are considering doing their own startup or maybe very early on in doing so. So for those people out there, is there, if you could give them that kind of one token of wisdom or maybe more than one, um, but something maybe you wish someone had told you a bit earlier on in your journey. I didn't give you prep time on this, so I'm going to give you yeah, that's fine. I was going to think, and this is the kind of thing where I'll say what comes to my mind, and probably later I'll think of a much better answer. But I suppose there's two things I think that come to my mind. One is a, a bit of a, I can't think of the word, but it's like a trite saying, right? People say this, but it's very true, where it's just, I guess it's still scary for me sometimes to think about 
the end, right? I could be the CEO of an like insurance company. I'm still like, oh my God, you know, like that's a big thing. But then you think about what are you just doing today? So the scariest thing is usually the, the start, right? For, for me, the hardest thing of all of it really was just leaving my nice job and saying, going to start a business. Once I decided that, and once I met Paul and Tom, we already talked about the first six weeks of the program, but then it was sort of every next step, I sort of knew how to do it. And so I think it's looking at it in that kind of piecemeal chunk of, you have the vision of what you're doing, and then you have the, I need to achieve, you know, this by this point and this by this point. So you should have your roadmap. But then today, this week, this month, it's like, I know how to do this stuff, right? I need to put a pitch deck together. I know how to put a pitch deck together. You know, I need to contact some VCs and figure out how do I access them. I'll, I know how to do that. I need to do a presentation. I need, I need to write a report for the regular. Like, even if it's something I've never done before, I've never done a submission to a regulator before to have an insurance company regulated. But I've written a zillion submissions for things. So it's sort of looking at actually... Uh, not getting scared by the big picture and starting to look through the day-to-day actions you need to take to get to the big picture, I think makes it a much more achievable thing. And so I guess the jump is the scariest thing. And once you do it, then you can you can do it, I think. So if you're debating it, um, take the jump because what's the worst that happens is you, you start a company and it fails. And that is not the end of the world. You can almost certainly go out and get another job or figure it out. But I guess that's the fear, right? Is that you you put yourself out there and you fail. And I think once you recognize that that's not the end of the world, it makes taking that leap a lot easier. I guess those are my my two. Yeah. Um, so I think a big thing is it really helps to work in a team. Um, I mean, obviously, that's one of the ideas that underpins Carbon 13. You can see that in successful businesses very often are started by a team of people sometimes it's not the same team day one as it ends up being um in the early parts of the journey but it's it's finding those people who you can work well with um and it also means you know a bit like sport i would say in a team you know if you're having an off day or you're having a day where yeah, it's just just not your greatest day. You know, there are other people who you can talk to, but who can also support in that. And and maybe your off day is a really good day for them. So, you know, it's not just about the amount of work to get done. And the other thing I would say is there there are a lot of tales about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And people get very hung up on, you know, do I have the right expertise? Am I exceptional? Am I good enough? And what I would say is ignore all of that. If you are good at getting stuff done, because there's a lot of stuff that just needs doing, then maybe this is the right thing for you. Um, So don't overthink it. Amazing. Well, that's a lovely end. Um, And thank you both of you so much for your time, but also for what you've been doing for the the spaces that you work within and the community outside of that um and also just for being so giving with your stories so thank you for joining us on conversations in clean tech um and we'll be watching what comes next with bated breath
Thank you very much. Nice to spend some time with Natalia as well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you.